Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Clancy. I'm joined 20 minutes late by Kev Pogzalski. Kev, hello. Hi, Connor. And also joining us is the, the less sassy Vito Doria. Vito, thanks <laughs> for being a pleasant colleague. No worries, Connor. Um, always enjoy doing the pod with you guys. And once again, got the mug. Yeah, I've got mine here too as well, to be fair. Kev, where's yours? You send it over with my Atalanta right. magnet. Do you want to do you want to cut this attitude? Because we're oh. we're not even a minute in, and you're already dishing it out. Do you want to do you want to just stop this? <laughs> okay, sorry. I boss. don't know. I don't know where this has come from. All you right. were twenty minutes late. What's your problem? <laughs> not the fog. No comment. Right for for those of you who are listening, you probably don't care, but. Kev sent a message in our mutual group saying, I'm, I'm ready. 15 minutes before we were due to start recording. So me and Vito came on to start recording. And 20 minutes later, five minutes after we're due to start recording, still no sign of Kev. Here he comes. Any defense? I never, I never got the invite. All right. Of course he didn't. Vito got it, strangely enough. But anyway, let's. let's I just went straight our, to Skype. Yeah, like a normal, rational person would. Let's stop the bickering, get the Serie A. Normal service has very much resumed. Juve won, Inter didn't. There's a four-point lead at the top. Kev, title race is done. Well, if you're discounting Lazio, who have now got a game in hand over Inter, but um, yeah, my my prediction of an Inter Scudetto is uh, nose diving pretty quickly. And uh, I wrote last week about... Christian Eriksen could perk them up a little if they could get that deal over the line before the um, end of the transfer window. And instead, they go and sign Ashley Young. So there's no hope for them. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll get on to Inter's transfer business. But let's let's start with, with Juve Parma because Juventus went one up. Cristiano Ronaldo scored. Andreas Cornelius scored what was, to give him credit, a very good header for Parma to level. And 
Juve did what Juve do, Vito. They scored immediately, retook the lead and didn't really look troubled after that. No, not particularly. There were probably times where you think Juventus were rather wasteful in possession. But that being said, uh, Parma didn't look like they were really the dangerous selves on the counter-attack. Javinho not being available didn't help their cause. And uh, Dejan Kulusevski, ever since he has signed with Juventus, I don't think he has replicated the same performances that he did in the first half of the season. So on this performance, that wasn't good for him. But at least if we focus on him personally, hopefully he can still turn around and show why people have been making a big fuss over him for the first six months. Yeah, well, I guess in the um, the Lecce game last Monday evening, he started very, very poorly. But after about 25 minutes, he grew into things a little bit more. Then in the second half, I actually thought he was excellent. Back to his usual early season self, but he didn't. He didn't do it. But I guess he's a nineteen-year-old kid. Sometimes you're going to come unstuck against the oh a thousand time. <laughs> Sorry, our champions. But Kev, it's looking like it's just going to be another one of those years, right? Because we we've seen in recent seasons under what Spalletti and Mancini and to be crowned winter champions only to collapse in the second half of the season. This time they didn't even get that accolade. Juve are the winter champions and I mean they're they're well placed. They don't usually surrender leads. No, it was a air of inevitability about the um about the game really once um they even went went ahead. Um Ronaldo after all his problems at the start of the season where we're led to believe they they weren't particularly managing his knee injury very well seems to be sort of hitting top form um there's like moments when they were they were two one up at the end and Ronaldo rightly or wrongly didn't square the ball for Higuain and went went straight for goal and you know that can come back and and, and bite you sometimes but there it just doesn't seem to happen to Juve and um Sarri would probably be quite pleased with his his first year in Turin. Um, but you do wonder if they can get over the line in Europe and whether the season will still be seen as a little bit of a disappointment if that doesn't happen. But domestically it looks like they're gonna they're gonna not run away with it, but uh, dominate again. Do you know what? It's it's an interesting point you raise because last season it was last year when they lost in the first leg against Atletico Madrid and I remember I was one of the people who was quite vocal and thinking that if they don't win the Champions League this season's something of a failure because Sarri has a, a certainty. This year, for the first time in maybe four, five years, longer, Sarri hasn't seemed a certainty because Inter have strengthened the way they did. There's all that change at Juve with Sarri coming in instead of Allegri. And Sarri wasn't so much a guarantee this year it still isn't a guarantee but if they win Serie A and come up short in Europe veto this year do you think it's as much of a disappointment as it was last season I don't think so and that's predominantly because this is only Sari's first season with the squad I'm still not convinced that this is truly his squad and this is more or less the legacy if you like of the Max Allegri era. I think they're more or less Allegri's players and the players that are more suited to his uh, conservative methods. 
there are moments where we do see Sarri's football come to fruition. Uh, we probably saw it more midweek in the Coppa Italia when Juve won 4-0 and that first goal Higuain scored, which was absolutely superb with the exchange of passes. But in Serie A, I don't think we've seen such uh, passing movements and uh, that sort of uh, technical brilliance as yet. It's been coming on a little bit though, week by week, right? And by March, do you think there'll be even another step closer to what Sari wants them to do? I won't say a guaranteed yes, but I'd like to hope so. Around March is usually that time of the year where the big boys, they really step it up a gear and they really mean business. Whereas the smaller sides, if you like, or weaker sides, they tend to drop off after having a good run early on in the season. So uh, you will have that squad to last the duration of the season. And even if they have off days, they still got the players to sort of change things up. This is the thing, Kev, right? We were, we touched briefly on it, the transfers. We'll get into it in a second. But you don't need to do all that much in January because they've got a Scudetto winning squad already assembled. Oh, absolutely. Their, their squad's huge. And that was something that people wondered if Sarri would struggle with that a little because he never really changed his sides once he found a a winning formula. Um, and they've been relatively lucky with injuries other than Chiellini that, you know, that they, that almost would have helped him if some players had been out of the side for, for longer periods this season. Um, I do just wonder how stale some of those squad players will get if, when they're looking to maybe go further in the Champions League, he gets goes back into his usual routine of playing a set side, which might well help him in the long run until you then have an injury and somebody has to come into the, the side and not quite click within his system. Yeah, well, credit to Cristiano Ronaldo as well, actually. He's on 16 Serie A goals for the season now, which Chiro Mobile is making look average, but 16 goals from, what, 20 games? It's, it's not too bad. Um, the reason they are now four points clear is because Inter went all the way down to Italy's southernmost city in Puglia. They played Lecce and they drew one each. And Vito, this is just one of those results that you cannot afford if you want to be not only winning a title, but winning a title when Juventus are the opposition. Absolutely not. Romelu Lukaku was perhaps unfortunate to get a goal disallowed in the first half. But I think if you look at the overall performance... It didn't look like that the Nerazzurri were really worthy of earning three points. Not only that, uh, although Lecce have just been promoted from Serie B, they have managed to get some impressive results at home themselves this season, especially against bigger sides. So uh, Inter, although I think that they sh- this is clearly two points lost for them, uh, this uh, current Lecce side... They somehow step it up a level against the bigger teams. So um, at the same time, uh, I don't think it's uh, it's that much of a disaster, so to speak. It's bad to draw against Lecce, but uh, Lecce, I think, in some way should be given a little bit of credit for how they've handled uh, the big teams instead of being blown out of the water on their home soil. Yeah, Kev, Ashley Young is, is in at Inter for the left-wing back role where Cristiano Baraghi has disappointed this year. Victor Moses is set to come in for right-wing back. Olivier Giroud might come in. Christian Eriksen might come in. 
is are these the signings that are gonna get Inter over the line? Well, Christian Eriksen would be a fantastic addition. The others, I just wonder if they have the same agent as Antonio Conte. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ashley Young strikes me um, a little bit like when Ashley Cole went. Uh, I applaud people for sort of moving out of their comfort zone, particularly British players, which don't tend to, to move abroad. But you just wonder at 34 whether he's doing that slightly too late. Um, you know, somebody uh, on on social media compared the move with Smalling going and sort of trying his luck at Roma. But although they were both out, out of favour at Manchester United, Smalling could potentially build uh, a sort of five if not more year legacy in Italy, um, if he wants to remain. Ashley Young just strikes a bit of desperation, even if you're only paying, is it 1.5 million euros? He did play, what was it, 40-something games in 2019. So he might be 34, but he seems to still have it in him. Well, yeah, I think um, in this day and age, physically, lots of players still do. I think... Um, surely fans want to see more of a long-term, you know, Antonio Conte coming in must have looked for Inter fans like a long-term project. So although Baragi's been disappointing, I think as, as a, if I was a, a, an Inter supporter, I would probably prefer for that to be persisted with um, rather than go down a short-term, short-term option. Because they were, they were not... If if they'd been finishing, if it, if it wasn't working with some of the players and they were languishing in fifth or sixth position, but there are a couple of places off Inter who have dropped very very few points, very very few points over the last couple of seasons, so they're not doing that badly. And if you're going to bring something in in January, why not somebody like Ericsson? Why not somebody that's got that creativity, that technical ability to to spark some life in the rest of the team? Whereas with the greatest respect, Ashley Young and Victor Moses and Olivier Giroud, although Giroud could, if he sort of went on a little bit of a scoring spree, would maybe spark that life into the other players. Right. But this is the thing. Giroud's not going to play. He's going to come in to be backup to Lukaku. Um, even in terms of the hierarchy of strikers, he's probably going to be fourth choice behind Alexis Sanchez as well. And level on with Esposito. It'd probably be a little bit ahead of him in the back in order, but He's not going to play. Absolutely. To get the Ericsson deal over the line. Uh, uh, you know, according to reports, they're grumbling over now about five, six million euros. Yeah. When there's Scudetto on the line, you think, just pay it, right? And yeah. I, I think Victor Moses is actually quite a shrewd addition. You know, I know he's been out on loan with Fenerbahce this season. It looks like, I think he might actually be in Milan now to complete his medical and sign everything. So by the time people listen to this, he might be posing with a shirt. But, I, I think he can do a job for them, but yeah, he's probably he's probably younger than I I, I think he is because he's been I around think, for so long. I think he's older than I think he is. So okay. what age do you think he is? I reckon he's probably twenty eight. Yeah, I was thinking twenty eight, twenty nine. Okay, Moses. He started at Crystal Palace very very young. Yeah, he's twenty nine years old. So good shout. Mm -hmm. He's done well, but like I mean, he, he could still have a few years in him as well. He could do quite well for a while there, especially. We've seen him do it under Conte before, so he knows what he's getting into, and Conte knows what he's getting with him. That's that. That's the one positive for that transfer because Moses' career has almost 
been up and down where he hasn't sort of fitted or been uh, favoured by the coach that he's had. And, and that very much was what changed for him at Chelsea when Conte went went there. Um, yeah, I think there are very much... They can work together. Very much three kind of segments to Moses' career. It's pre-Conte, with Conte and post-Conte. And only one of those has been successful. That was with him at Chelsea. Vito, talking about the Christian Eriksen thing, is it something... Do Inter just need to go and stop messing about, put the money on the table, sign Christian Eriksen and win the Scudetto? If they're that serious about the Scudetto, I think so, because he's probably one of the few technical players that could really offer something different to Inter's play. I don't see him as a Conte type player, but I think Conte needs to be a bit realistic and also not be so stubborn and try to incorporate someone with Ericsson's talents because he can, you know, provide a bit of X factor and a bit of unpredictability with his play. I think uh, another thing too is that I just reckon it's uh, Inter just, you know, just looking at the economics far too much because he's got less than six months left on his contract. They could get him on a free transfer for 2020, 2021. But when you think that way, you're kind of saying that, they're going to run off the Scudetto already and they're going to plan for next season. But at this stage, even though it's now a four-point margin, um, I still think mathematically there is a hope of winning the title and getting Ericsson there, I reckon, would make a lot of difference to the chances. I think I think there's, there's murmurs in the UK that Ericsson might not be backing out of the deal, but but obviously questioning the move. Six months ago, um, maybe even 18 months ago, he was looking potentially or hopeful, I think, for a move to one of the big Spanish clubs. So surely if, if Inter wait around, they're going to have more competition from other clubs with Ericsson being a free agent. Whereas if you just put the 20 million euros down on the table, sign him, four-year contract, if he doesn't like it after six months, they'll recoup... The, the the financial outlay for the player, uh, you know, and then he can maybe go somewhere else where he where he wants to go. He did look set for Real Madrid, or at least set on Real Madrid, but it, it didn't it didn't happen largely because I think Zidane didn't quite want them, but he was kind of holding out for Pogba. But anyway, um, I do think he's genuinely got that quality because you see them turn into the bench for the likes of Borja Valero and. Valero is a class act, right? And he's got a lot of skills to his game, but he's not going to carve out chances and drive a team on to a title. And beyond Brozovic, Sensi and Barella in midfield, there's not all that much there to get excited about. Looking at the bench they had at the weekend, it's it's quite grim reading if you're an Inter fan or someone hoping for a change of guard at the top of Serie A. But it is what it is at the moment. Anyway, that'll do on Inter. Well, it's only taken us a week to track him down, but I am now joined by Alistair McKenzie on the line from Rome. And he's, he's happy again this week. Alistair, you watch this Lazio team every week more than anyone. And you're a little bit obsessed with the side Simone Zaghi has at his disposal this season. Why? Hello, Connor. Uh, first of all, sorry for going missing last week, my bad. Um, I'd hoped to 
take a bit of time to work out what is going to say to you and in the end then actually completely ended up uh, forgetting to reply to you at all. So this time I'm actually speaking to you as I leave the Surrey Olympical tonight to make sure I get this to you. So, um, yeah, why am I obsessed with this Lazio team? Well, I mean, it's a question of really what what's not to like about this Lazio team. I mean, for followers of the club over the last um, three years, really, with Inzaghi, this is essentially what we've been waiting for, this accumulation of all the positive aspects that has been there all along but hasn't really come together in the way that it has this time. And by that I mean in the 17-18 season, Lazio were a superb attacking force, but gave away far too many goals. Um, they were punished for you know, mental breakdowns, for individual errors, um, defensive slip-ups. Then last season they corrected the balance a little bit, but they actually lost a lot of their attacking swagger. And this season they've managed to suddenly make all these things come together. They play with real style, real swagger. They're a great team to watch. There's a hell of a lot of individual players there who are very nice to watch. Who, um, you know, players like Milinkovic Savic, Luis Alberto, Chiro Mobile, Francesco Acerbi. These guys, these characters are um, very quickly becoming kind of legends in the eyes of the fans. The club's led by a guy in Simone Inzaghi who's won Scudetto with this team as a player. He's been at the club for over 20 years now who is as much of a Laziale as anyone else supporting the team, so everyone's fully behind him. It's really a fantastic atmosphere. There is real momentum behind what's going on at the club at the moment. Um, I'm not saying the Scudetto word yet, but uh, it does definitely feel like this is the club's time to be getting that Champions League spot and finally ending what's now been a 13-year wait to, um, to appear in that competition again. Well, you're going to be saying that Scudetto word soon because I'm not letting you go away this evening without talking about it. But looking at the pe- team on paper, right, there's there's not that much of a difference between this current season's side and the team that Simone Inzaghi has had at his disposal in recent years. So what has them looking so different and so much better this year? It's been a combination of things, really. Um, the one big change this season that's happened is that Manuel Lazzari has been brought in as the right wing back, a starting right wing back, and he, after um, uh, you know a bit of an up and down start, has has developed into the player that we thought we'd signed, that we hoped we'd signed over in the summer. So he's been a phenomenal player. His energy is incredible. His work rate, he contributes in both phases. He's helped Lazio. Um, keep that balance, I suppose, between defence and attack to carry the transitions up the pitch, but also to have someone who's who's reliably going to be able to get back and, and cover their position. So as an incoming player, he's been a big upgrade on what we had before in Adam Marisic, for example. Um, the rest of the team, the important thing, I suppose, tactically to mention is that Nzagi, when things were, weren't working last season, uh, changed what he'd done in the 17-18 season when Luis Alberto had been supporting Chiro Mobile up front. He changed the system back in January, January 2019, to put Alberto back in the midfield alongside Milinkovic and then play Correa and Immobile up front together um, in what's now become known as the four tenors. Um very attack-minded formation. It took a while for that to start working, for that to tick, to find a balance. 
understandably, of having four such attack-minded players in one team. But this season, um, that balance has been struck and the players are far more comfortable playing in that system. Um, the the guys like Milinkovic-Savic and Alberto, who struggled a bit last year because they didn't get proper pre-seasons, had full pre-season this year, and you can tell the benefits of that from the way they've been performing. And Zaghi, when he's been asked about this, has actually credited um, a lot of the improvement to the fact that they had such a good pre-season. Um, and I don't think you can really underestimate the impact that can have on a season to get everyone up to the level of fitness required, but also to really drum into them the, the pretty um, sophisticated uh, tactical blueprint that he's wanting to, them to perform. Because once the season starts and you're playing every three days, you don't get much of a chance to do it. So for me, I think it's a combination of that. One, the weakest area of the team has been improved, which was at right wing back. And two, the, um, the tactical changes that were put in place last season are now to the point where they're second nature to this team and, we're, and they're, uh, they're put there to be able to get the best out of the ind- individuals in the system. Okay, right. So they're getting the best out of all their players. They've strengthened their weakest areas. Everyone knows what they're doing as if it's second nature to them. They've won 11 games in a row. They win when they're not playing well. They're able to smash teams. They've beaten Juventus twice this season and only lost two games. So, why can't they win the Scudetto, Alistair? I knew I, knew I wasn't going to get away with not answering this question. Look, it's been an incredible winning run. They're certainly playing like title contenders at the moment. Um in that they're brushing teams aside, but they're also finding other ways to win games. Had a lot of comebacks, a lot of late goals. They've also dominated games. They've edged tight games like Napoli last week. They've um, managed to get some big scalps. Juventus, predominantly, obviously being the big one in the Super Cup as well as in Serie A, when no one else has beaten them this season. Um, So the signs are very promising that this is the season the Lazio can finish higher than they have done previously under Simone Inzaghi. But I still think there's a fair distance between that and being a a title contender. If you consider that for a team like Lazio to actually win the Scudetto, I think they basically need to already be in the lead and be protecting it. Because I think this Juventus side under Maurizio Sarri are only getting better. Um, They've already managed to end as winter champions despite not being consistently impressive and if you compare the squad depth of this UV team to this Lazio team or uh, Inter for that matter it's it's a huge difference I mean we saw that in midweek with the Coppa Italia games Lazio facing Cremonese they put out a rotated team and you've got guys like Bobby Adikanye, Patrick, uh, Johnny Bastos uh, in the starting team if you look at the Coppa Italia teams picked by the likes of Juventus and Inter, they have Federico Bernardeschi, they've got Gonzalo Higuain, got Alexis Sanchez, Diego Godin. That's the kind of difference in, in squad depth you're talking about. I don't think that means that Lazio can't win a lot more games between now and the end of the season. 
But I think that any talk at this stage, when we're only halfway to uh, halfway through, is still premature, because I think March is a reasonable time to start discussing what can be done in the running. At the moment, we're only halfway through this, the season, um, and a, a hell of a lot still needs to be done. This winning run isn't going to go on for the rest of the season. Um, but what Lazio have done is they've put themselves in a terrific position to achieve what they've always wanted to achieve, which is, is getting back in the Champions League. And that is the objective. And we, we shouldn't forget at any stage that to achieve that in itself would be a big deal for this team. I mean, an awful lot of pre-season predictions didn't have Lazio anywhere near the top four, let alone in third place. So let's not forget that Lazio being where they are right now and maintaining that position would be an enormous achievement. Anyway, from one of the Roman sides to the other, Roma went away to Genova and they won 3-1. And it was pretty comprehensive, pretty comfortable, Vito. Uh, yes, it was. And uh, in some ways, it was probably a tad comical too. Uh, Roma obviously needed the win. There were quite a few good performances on the day, such as Spinazzola, Diawara, Pellegrini. And, uh, you know, it goes to show they're still putting in with uh, the fight for Champions League spot. But I say comical, aside from me liking to get stuck into Genoa, you had the second Roma goal, which was uh, an own goal by Davide Biraschi. He just deflected in after a Spinazzola shot. And then uh, Paolo Giglione had a chance to score for Genoa and he missed from point-blank range. So the score suggests that Roma, you know, deserved the win and all that and pretty comfortably. But uh, I think in a way they probably got a bit of assistance from their opponents. Yeah, the on goal was, was pretty hilarious, to be honest. I'd imagine even more so from a Sampdoria perspective. But Kev, Roma... They got a big win, in, well, not a big win, a comfortable 2-0 win at Parma in the Coppa Italia in midweek as well. They've got another one, 3-1 at Genoa, and they look quite all right. They're just ticking along. I know they had disappointments against Torino at home, but generally speaking, this Roma side are considerably better than the previous edition. Yeah, absolutely. There was a, there was a moment in the game, not that uh, Genoa tested them too much, but Paolo Lopez pulled off a a wonderful save, and I think with the addition, uh, the addition of Smalling, um, they've got a little bit more about them uh, in defence and in goal. I saw, I heard your chuckle uh, than they did last year uh, with Robin Olsen, even though they lost uh, Manalas um, in the summer. So yeah, I think I think they are just ticking along nicely, and they're they're what they're seven points behind Lazio. So it would take a bit of a collapse at this stage, given how well Lazio played this season, for them to catch them. But it could be one of those occasions where they just sort of sneak up uh, on everyone around them. Um, they've obviously still got Atalanta on their tails and Cagliari are dropping away. But uh, yeah, at the moment, you'd be quite happy sitting in fourth if you're a Roma fan. Yeah, but it's split even more now, hasn't it, the Serie A table? Because it's very much the top three. Then Roma-Atalanta look like they're going to fight it out for the last Champions League spot. And then that Europa League, those Europe, that last Europa League spot is kind of anyone's taking from Cagliari down to, I don't know, maybe even Spal at this rate. But 
It's it's all gone a bit mad. It's quite nice to have Serie A competitive everywhere, but maybe it'd be nicer if there were a few more teams competing at the top rather than just the handful. But no, Lazio are good. Roma are good. I don't really know what else to say. But that that Smalling deal actually to lose Manolas, get Smalling in, and to have your team actually improve and look better defensively, that's a great bit of business from the summer, like a really underrated piece of transfer business. You wonder how they'd be coping if Manolas and Smalling were playing alongside one another. But Kev, I, I giggled because you just can't resist it, can you? You just have to get oh. Robert Olsen in whenever possible. Well, um, I'm not going to say he's part of Cagliari's fall, but he's, he's had a couple of questionable moments. But no, <laughs> I just think... Um, when we're talking about, you know, you're talking about Smalling coming in over the summer, that, that Paolo Lopez deal looks very astute. He looks a, he looks an extremely um, good goalkeeper and, and you just hope that it doesn't go the way that Alisson went and they had obviously Chesney on loan before he went off to Juventus and that they can keep hold of a, a goalkeeper for once for a couple of years and you maybe, maybe build on that. He's going to do very well there for the rest of the season and then Buffon will retire and Juve will say hello, hello Mr. Pau do you want to come and win a Scudetto and he'll go and win a Scudetto but no, Pau's been good for a couple of years he was good at Espanyol and then at Real Betis last season as well so solid goalkeeper definite upgrade on your friend and all steam ahead full steam ahead for Roma Atalanta in fifth, they lost in what was probably the most predictable result of this weekend. I don't know why people are acting like this is a surprise. I'm pretty sure I called it on the podcast last week. If not, I definitely called it on Twitter because I could just see this coming a mile away. Spal, bottom of the, the league, the team who scored the fewest goals in Serie A this season, went to Bergamo and they left with a 2-1 win. And Andrea Batania, Italy's best striker, scored again against his old club of course he did and I don't know if you guys saw but I I did some adding up on Patania because he's always seems to score against Atalanta since he left and I dug up this fact Kev so let me know what you think about this in four games against Atalanta Andrea Patania has scored as many goals five as he did in his most prolific season in Bergamo which was five in 34 games and he's also scored more than the four goals he managed in his last season there in 29 games. Andrea Patania, what can you say? I can say he's not Italy's best striker. When you he is. Cheer him over there. Immobile doesn't count. Patania is the best Italian striker that's not called Ciro Immobile. Andrea Bellotti? Um, how many goals has he got this season? Oh, there's a there's a test. Um, he's got more than Batania, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But no, I stand by it. Batania's phenomenal. He's a good player in a terrible team. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Right up there with uh, Bobby English. No. He's a lot better than Roberto Inglese will ever dream of being. Sorry, people at Parma, if you're listening, but it's it's true. Patania's good. Come on. He's playing in a team that don't create any chances, and he's got six goals for himself this season. I mean, it's not bad. That's half of Spal's goals this term. Yeah, I suppose so. You wonder why. Obviously, he's got six goals in a side that maybe don't create as many as those higher up the table. Um, but maybe he doesn't bring so much to another team, and that's why another uh, higher place side haven't taken a taken a chance on him, or, or aren't looking to take a chance on him. You'll see more of the the rumor mill over in Italy than I do here in the UK. Um, but it's uh, he, he's not a name that I see constantly cropping up with uh, other sides. No, I know Lazio were kind of sniffing around him in the summer and I was hoping that he wouldn't go. I'm kind of glad he didn't because I think he's going to keep Spal up this season. Been saying all year he's not gonna, they're not going to go down. Stand by that. They're only a point off safety now. But yeah, Patania, when he was at Atalanta, he didn't take the chances he had. And now that he's at Spal, he's taking chances that aren't there. So he's a strange sort of a player. He can do everything. Just scoring goals is actually the thing I think he's worst at out of anything he does. So he got 16 last season, six so far this. He's he's on track to hit double figures again this term, quite handily. So no, Patania's Patania's a good one. Atalanta and Vito were were a little bit all over the place. They were hit by absences to Hans Hattabor and Timothy Castagna, which kind of made the whole team quite lopsided. 
Then Mario Pasalic, who apparently his name is pronounced Pasalic. He he says it that way. So I'm going to have to try and start saying it like that. But anyway, him, the Croatian midfielder who wears number 88, Armand Deron had pretty poor games. They couldn't pass the ball straight. And then Papu Gomez came off with more than half an hour left when it was 1-0. And Atalanta just couldn't create anything of note, Vito. That's what happens when you're missing key players and it just shows the team out of balance. I don't think Hatterball has been as impressive as he has been in the other seasons he's played or he hasn't been involved as in the goals as much, but uh, it's still important to have someone like him there. And then, of course, Castagne, um, he's a versatile player. He's been more involved in the goals than Hatterball. So they're two big uh, losses for Ladea and... Yeah, the sooner they return, uh, the better off they'll be because uh, that 3-4-1-2 or variation of it that they use, it seems to be pretty well settled. So to sort of tinker around with it might be a bit problematic. And in this case against Spal, who we've sometimes joked around as being an Atalanta B team, uh, they managed to get the victory in Bergamo. They did. Credit to Josip Ilicic, by the way, for his goal. And no luck back heel. Roberto Firmino would have been proud of it. People would be losing their minds if Firmino did this. wasn't actually that great, but back heels are always nice. Um, and Duban Zapata, back in the team, back involved. He got the assist. He hit the post. He forced a save from Borussia late on. So Zapata seems like he's, he's fully back. Sassuolo played Torino in the game I went to this, this weekend. Just the one. It was a nice relaxing weekend. And Sassuolo came from behind to beat Torino 2-1. Absolute magic from Jeremy Boga as well. Kev, did you see the former Chelsea man's wizardry? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, I did the season preview for Sassuolo and I tipped him to be their breakthrough player. And uh, I hadn't noticed until I watched the replay that he'd nutmegged mm. uh, Ring Kong as well before he sort of unleashed that effort. And um, for, for, a, for a period in that game, it looked like that was... That was the only way that Sassuolo were going to beat Sirigu because he pulled off a, a couple of decent saves before that to deny them. There was a very irate Reggiano man beside me in the press box. I say Reggiano, he's probably from Modena actually, given he was so passionate about Sassuolo. And he just kept appealing things that he had no right to appeal and asking for my opinion, which every single time I disagreed with. And then he would just get more and more angry because I wasn't agreeing with him. And he was going absolutely nuts at me while Boga scored that goal. So he missed it, which made me very, very happy because Boga did the nutmeg and I kind of went, oh. And then when he took the shot and the way it hit the net was, it was so nice. that It kind of just rolled around the net after it flew in. And I did, you know, when you watch football and you see something that good, you do one of those involuntary oh, that happened to me. And it was just, it was quite nice. And it made the trip to Reggio Emilia worthwhile, which takes some doing, let me have you know. but I, I don't need to hear that noise come out of my mouth again. <laughs> not, not, not while I'm looking at your face. Yeah, anyway. you've, you've heard a lot worse come out of my mouth in the past. So I remember those late nights in Turin. Don't, don't you try and pretend otherwise. Um, 
that's all we're going to say about that game and that experience. So we'll move on to Milan now because, oh, AC Milan, they won another game. They're unstoppable, Vito. They beat Udinese 3-2. What a win. <clears throat> Look, it'd be easy to push the narrative and say it's just, uh, it's just Udinese, but I thought, especially in that second half, I thought it was a very exciting second period, really enjoyable game, and uh, it seemed like both sides put some of the weaknesses aside, at least offensively. I think both sides uh, were really going for the win. Udinese lethal on the counter-attack. Milan were excellent in possession, especially when attacking down the left wing. Um, it seemed that, uh, you know, they had a few skills in the, you know, in the bag, and that's, uh, you know, just Milan, but... Uh, when Ante Rebic came on at halftime for Giacomo Bonaventura, I think that's when things really changed. In the first half, it looked like Udinese were capable of getting a shock win, but uh, they weren't taking their chances. Whereas in the second half, both teams were at it. Musso in golf Udinese made some good saves. Donnarumma atoned for his calamitous mistake in the first half and had an excellent start to the second half, especially though his first 10 minutes made some incredible saves. But, yeah, it was really end-to-end stuff um, and, yeah, just pleasing on the eye. And if Milan can continue these kind of performances, uh, they might be able to climb up the table. But at the same time, with how they've been this season, you don't really want to fall into a false sense of security or be given false hope. Kev, Milan were playing Udinese. And if it weren't for Gianluigi Donnarumma, they would have lost this. So do people need to relax a little bit? Yeah, they do need to relax a little bit. I, I kind of, um, people need to probably remember that Milan have beaten a side by one goal who were only a point, well, they were only a point ahead of before the game. And they did, they ran, and they ran the risk. They ran terribly close to first losing the game if uh, Udinese had been more clinical. And then also, you know, losing the, the three points after um, a terrible bit of defending from uh, Tio Hernandez, who I'm sure wants to lord his very, very good strike. But he left whoever it was who went the other side of him to cross for Lasagna's equaliser. And, and this is where, sorry, I've gone off this, but onto Tio Hernandez. It, it's like he's a, he's a YouTube footballer. He's full of lovely clips and winning goals or fantastic strikes, but maybe doesn't do the basics. And why is it Milan at their current at their current level, rather than those that t- have a tendency to say that he's the best left back in Syria? Best left back in Syria, Kev. Yeah, not and if he's not, well, how come he isn't? No, no, no. he's not. Robin Gosens is better than him. Timothy mm. Castagna is better than him. Alexandro is better. I don't know where this has actually come from. Well, it's that. It's, you know, it was tongue in cheek. I call him a YouTube footballer, but that's what Milan's done for the last two or three seasons. They've bought players. The fans go instantly to social media to see wonderful clips on them. And then you have to sit through 90 minutes. And if you sit there live, which oh, Milan fans must have struggled with the last few seasons, you, you see players' failings. A bit, a bit like when you were talking up Catania, you know, you see him much more. Well, I'm not even sure if I have seen Catania live, but it's 
those are the sort of players that you appreciate when you're watching them live. And uh, the likes of the YouTube footballers, try not to get this into the dictionary, but, um, you know, you see, you see their failings when you're watching them live. Or if you're maybe even on TV and you're just watching a little bit more uh, closely than, than you would be others. He's played every game since Stefano Pioli took over. The only one he missed was through suspension in Bergamo when Milan lost 5-0. And poor Ricardo Rodriguez had to endure that. Is that coincidence, Vito? Or is there something to that? Um, I reckon there could be something to it. Because as poor as Theo Hernandez can be, um, he is at least very good going forward. And... He's now got five goals for the season now, and uh, that's the most the defender has scored for Milan for quite some time. And that being said, you'd think he plays more like a left wing back or left winger than a traditional left back. And we're talking about a club that had the legend himself, Paolo Maldini. So you'd think that they would have players that actually know how to defend first and foremost, but can also add something offensively, whereas Teo Hernandez is not that. But, you know, that being said, um, if we look overall at the game, he had his defensive flaws, but I thought him and Jens Trigger Larsen on the right side who scored that first goal after Donnarumma's mistake and then provided the cross for Kevin Lasagna to make it 2-2, I thought both t- uh, both guys, um, they did their part at least in the attacking phase of the game, although defensively, yeah, they were quite poor. Yeah. Well, I think it does say a lot about Teo that Real Madrid are willing to let him go and sign Ferland Mendy instead, who's relatively inexperienced at the top level. And given Marcello's failings defensively, he was still let to leave and never got played under Zidane at Madrid. So, I don't know. I think he's quite a nice player to watch because he, he does the unpredictable. He, he can be quite exciting, but yeah exciting is as a neutral is also him making mistakes that allow other teams in on his on his flank but is that enough on Milan no Ante Rebic right because he struggled this season Kev but he came on at halftime he scored two and he played quite well yeah he did um I've put him in as my player of the week although he only played um half a game uh, there wasn't a lot else in Serie A this weekend where somebody made that type of contribution that won Milan the game. Um, he was he was terribly poor when he was at Fiorentina. And I think then sometimes that, that can sort of stick with you when you come back to a league that you've left. There seems to be an element of the, the three players that Eintracht Frankfurt let go this summer with Haller, who went to West Ham, and Luka Jovic, that went to Madrid, that they worked wonderfully you know, it just clicked for them. Within that three, it, you know, it all, it all came came together. Um, Milan maybe need to have a little bit more confidence in him. And then, you know, that maybe instill a little bit of confidence in himself to to, to, to push on a little bit. There's clearly talent there. Um, and, and hopefully they can stick with him a little bit. Fiorentino went down to Naples. Vito, they won 2-0. Another win for them. It's three in a week. And Napoli are a disaster. You choose. Do you want to talk about Fiorentina or Napoli? I'll talk about Fiorentina first. Uh, Fiorentina, I think, have been able to turn things around incredibly well since Beppe Iacchini's taken over. 
uh, although they still use the 3-5-2 formation that Vincenzo Montella did, uh, the game plan and philosophy has totally changed. They're much more organised at the back. There's much better midfield balance because instead of trying to incorporate Milan Badel and uh, Eric Pulga into the same midfield, Iacchini just stuck to Pulga in that defensive midfield role with Castrovilli and Benassi beside him. And I think that's made a difference. But when they play on the counter-attack Fiorentina, they look a lot more dangerous. Instead of playing the old possession game that they were, and they looked very sterile and predictable, here they've got, um, the, they were able to stifle Napoli's attacking play. Uh, Napoli looked very predictable and couldn't find space. And then the way they breaked it was, you know, just quick and direct football. And uh, there were a lot of uh, top performers for Fiorentina, to be honest. I don't think there was a guy that was really looking bad. Just everyone seemed to be one better than the other. And in midfield, um, yeah, like I was saying, I thought Paul Gar played a pretty good game with his distribution and all that. And uh, Gaetano Castrovilli showed once again why he's one of uh, Italy's most promising young midfielders. He just looked so confident on the ball, but he covered a lot of ground too. He was like all over the ground. So he's becoming a much more enjoyable player to watch as the season progresses. He can be. I think he still he still has that Chiesa thing where he makes bad decisions and he can be a little bit selfish sometimes. And that Fiorentina, I think they get away with that. It'd be interesting to see if that continues under Iacchini, but I would hope, because he's clearly got a lot of talent, I would hope that Iacchini can kind of beat some sense into him. Kev, Napoli lost again, though. Gattuso said afterwards that the performance was shameful. The players have to apologise to the fans and to the city. They've hit rock bottom. The only way out is by being united and by listening to each other. But they've lost four from five games. And they haven't done that since 2001-2 under an examine when they ended up getting relegated. It's not likely to happen this season. But how much worse can it get for them? Well, they'll, they'll, the Fiorentina will jump over them soon. Um, there was a when they cut the highlights. There's a there's an interesting picture. Well, I say interesting. That's me trying to sound not h- horrible, but there was a, a young boy in the crowd crying after Vivic hit the uh, the second goal for Fiorentina. But it's an interesting comment from uh, Gattuso over the listening to each other, We're almost as though some of the players are a little bit disengaged, which I think we we thought they were anyway under Ancelotti, and um, you know we've talked about uh, the group that was probably started to be put together under Rafa Benitez is coming to a, an almost natural conclusion. But I, I looked at a, the league table after the results this weekend and just because because I was quite scathing of Fiorentina at the start of the season and Napoli were going so well after coming second last year. And they're, they're, they're now on um, the same amount of points. They've got identical records with six wins, six draws and eight defeats. It just didn't seem possible at the start of the season. You know, and I've seen Napoli twice this year in the Champions League and they get up for those games. And I don't I don't expect them not to get up for the, the knockout stages. But if they're not careful and they take their ball off the eye of the ball in the league, they're going to be in a position where there's no European football next year, which is looking a tad unlikely at the moment. Um and probably a bit of a fire sale from some of their talents. You know, how long will Lorenzo Insigne stick around? You know, I know he's a, a local boy, but 
he's got to want a little bit more than he's getting at the moment from them. Yeah, he's got to take some responsibility as well, though, right? Napoli are on 24 points. They've got a zero goal difference. They've only scored 28 goals this season. And part of that falls on Insignia's shoulders. You said Napoli, Napoli are now, they're only six points off Cagliari in sixth, but they're, what, 11 off Atalanta in fifth? So Champions League's not happening. Europa League's possible, but they've got to start turning things around sooner. Spal will be ahead of them. Spal are only nine points off them. Maybe Napoli will get relegated. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I think Naples are probably burned if that happened. To be fair, Gattuso would never be able to walk through the city again. Uh, move on. Brescia Cagliari, 2-2. Mario Balotelli sent off within seven minutes of coming onto the pitch. But you know what? I think this is harsh because all he does is do what players do every single week, every single game, multiple times over. He got booked. He told the referee to F off. And the referee's ego took the better of him and he decided to show Balotelli a red card. Kev, you nodded. You agree? Yeah, no, I do. I think there's there's certain players, and Mario's, Mario's one of those, where um, maybe not that they purposely get treated differently, but I think there's a, there's a leniency that other players would be shown. Um, and, you know, and what he shouted probably out of frustration in himself or where the game was going is certainly something that I've uttered in my workplace <laughs> um, uh, more than once. And, and, and yeah, I think it's, um, there's the famous why always me t-shirt. And I think that's one of these uh, occasions where the, the referee could have been not so harsh. Yeah. I think that's really poor officiating. You know, I, I think it's lazy. It's, just really poor. He probably needs to be spoken to about that, but he won't be because it's Italy and no one cares about anything. But Cagliari stopped the rot. They finally got a point again after what was a four straight defeats. Vito and it's still not a great result, is it? Going away to relegation threat and Brescia, who are in the bottom three and only getting a point. No, um, yeah. in some ways it was a bit fortuitous because they... They needed a penalty to get the equaliser. And that was after Sandro Tonali for Brescia was having a pretty decisive game. He provided two assists for two lovely goals from Ernesto Torregrossa. And in my opinion, they're the type of goals Mario Balotelli should be scoring. They were that good. But then uh, Tonali ruined his performance by giving away the penalty. And uh, Gio, not Gio Mario, Gio Pedro, sorry. Got another brace, and he's at least continuing his impressive season for the Sardinians. Yeah, he's been quite good. I quite like him as a player. He was speaking recently saying how much he loves Cagliari and he'd like to stay there forever. It's just, it's nice, it's a nice fit, but you can't help but think he could probably do a job at a bit of a higher level. So maybe Cagliari getting into Europe will be nice just to see João Pedro do well. Um, Kev. Coming to you for the last one, Bologna looked like they were going to beat Hellas Verona until the best Italian striker popped up with nine minutes left. Fabio Barini scored the equaliser. What a what a player! Yeah, he's uh, he's been stealing a living, but he still pops <laughs> up with the odd goal. Um, but the, the, Barini, I suppose, if I compare him to a fellow Italian striker, 
uh, it would be uh, Gabbiadini, who seems to go to clubs, whether in Italy or abroad, <laughs> start really well and then drift off into obscurity. And although the sign of him may well help um, Hellas Verona stay up, although they're you know they're not they're not they're not exactly fighting relegation um, currently. He'll 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 barely radar uh, be on our radar next season, I imagine. Yeah, I I feel for Barini, you know, because when he came through, it was at Chelsea, wasn't it? And he was loaned out to Swansea, and that he looked like he was going to be a really really talented goal scorer, and it, it didn't come to be. Then he ended up at Milan, and he was playing at fullback for them last season. He just he just does anything. I quite like him. I think he gets a hard time. I know he's not a very good player, and that's probably why he gets a hard time, but leave him alone. Leave him alone, Kev. You're a bully. I think maybe if he hadn't started as a striker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he was like a a workman-like winger, he'd be great. Love Candreva, but... Well, he's not got Candreva's quality, but also maybe starting <laughs> his career in England... You know, because the, the, the English youngsters get hyped beyond belief because of the you know, the amount of media and everything surrounding the game there. And, and as soon as somebody comes through and does well, then the next big thing. And then, you know, Roma took a chance on him. Then he ended up going, uh, well, actually then going back to England with, with Liverpool. And it didn't quite work out work out for him there. And I think it's, he has been a little bit unfortunate from the amount of hype that he got as a sort of a striker. You know, he was expected to go to go to Liverpool and maybe probably go to Roma and be a 20-goal-a-season uh, striker. And that's not what Fabio Barini is. No, it's not. And who knows? Maybe he was never going to be that anyway. I just re- He's from Emilia-Romagna, Barini, and from the province of Bologna. I didn't know that. It's interesting. Anyway, no one cares. I don't really care all that much. just didn't know it before. We've come to the end. Thanks, guys. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Alistair. Um, as always, head over to portsitalianfootball.com for match coverage, opinion pieces, news pieces, everything you want on Italian football, really. Kev, you've written an opinion piece. What's it about? Uh, Christian Eriksen. What did you say? Uh, I said he'd be a fantastic signing. He clinched the title for Inter. No, I didn't wow. quite go that far. Um, but certainly he could spark some life into this team and uh, just get the deal done, as I said earlier. Okay. Vito, are you writing anything? Well, I've submitted my team of the week. So come and check that out. Um, this time it's probably more diverse selection of players. So... Uh, have a look, see what you think, and yeah, be good to get everyone's feedback on it. Have you been making people angry with that? Because I remember when I used to do it, people used to lose their nut about the team of the week and not really understand the concept that there are only 11 players. So you'd name three strikers who all scored hat-tricks, and then they'd all go, oh, but this guy scored two, and this guy scored two, and this guy scored two. Come on. Oh, I think la- oh, last week I th- a couple people were questioning it, you know, you're going as far to say if it was satire or a joke. <laughs> free free Sampdoria players. Free, free Sampdoria players. <laughs> it 
It was a top performance. Okay, we were bad this week, <laughs> but last week we were on. I'm looking was... at the team of the week now. It looks quite good, but it's reminded me. Can we can we briefly talk about Leonardo Spinazzola and how funny it was that he did not want to go to Inter? Did you see his face when he landed at I think it was Malpensa and he was trying to be interviewed and he looked like someone had just told him his dog had died and he wasn't speaking to anyone he wasn't saying anything he was barely grunting and then there's a picture of him on the train going back to Rome and he is smiling from ear to ear he clearly didn't want to go to Inter which is quite odd because he could go and challenge for the Scudetto but no that was something that I enjoyed very very much and the Politano Spinazzola thing is weird. That would have probably been good for everyone involved. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 